All right. So this morning, we're continuing our series on um, passion, and the tagline we, we have is, it wasn't the nails. Now, if you, uh, if you were here last week when we started talking about this, we talked about how Jesus on the cross, it wasn't the nails that held him on that cross. We unpacked that it was his love for humanity, the fact that he wanted to, to, he, he wanted to save us from our sins. He had a mission, and he could have gotten off that cross if he wanted, but he loved us so much that he stayed on that cross, and he willingly shed his blood, gave his body for us. He had a deep love and passion for us, and we, got to, we get to be connected to the Father now because of him. They were fueled by humility, fueled by passion. And today, we're going to talk about how the love of Jesus is perfection. The love of Jesus was absolute perfection, and it was focused on the joy set before him of the task that he was given to do for us. So as we, uh, as we dive in, let me, uh, let me pray for us corporately this morning and welcome everybody online. Glad to have you join us. Let's pray and just welcome God into this place as we dive into his word. God, again, we come before you so thankful that we get to celebrate with you today. I thank you that on this, this Palm Sunday where we celebrate your triumphal entry into Jerusalem, God, that we, uh, we know what you were coming to do. We know what you did. And we are so blessed to be the receivers of this perfect love. I pray, God, today that you touch every heart, God, that, that we, we feel motivated and fueled by you and what you've done for us and that we get to share that with others this week. We thank you, we love you, amen. All right, now, if you wanna get better at something, and anything, right, what do you have to do? Yeah, it's not a trick question, you gotta practice this, right? If you want to get better at something, you practice, because, because we know that physical training will give you physical results. Physical training will give you physical results. I had the joy of watching my daughter in her very first softball jamboree yesterday. And uh, we, Aurora is 11, and we were at this phase where we told her, it's like, all right, you've got to do something extracurricular. You know, just, just, whether it's an art class, a drama class, dancing, cheerleading. She did cheerleading when she was really little, but since we moved up here, she hasn't dove into anything. So we're like, you've got to pick something. And when she said, I want to do softball, my heart exploded. I was so excited. That's my favorite sport. I played it for years. So I was like, I want to sign up. I want to be one of the coaches. I want to be all in. And so seeing her now, we, I went out to practice with her for the very first time last month. And she threw the ball to me. And I was immediately just like, this kid's got talent. <laughs> like, yes. And, uh, and, and she did. She had a, a natural good throw. And I said, hey, let's work on hitting. She was hitting the ball. And so we did, you know, met with the team and had practice. And it's been fun to hear her say, like, we, we went out one day, and I was pitching the ball to her, and she was missing everything. And they were perfect pitches. So, but, but she was, she was missing everything, just swinging and miss, swinging and miss. And then she told me something, you know, very profound. She goes, Dad, I want to get better at batting. I have to practice. And I was just like, Yes. Yes, that, that's, that's so true. And not, not just, and, you know, when, when you think about that concept, it's not just the, a batting thing and, you know, for sports. That's just general for things in life. If you want to get better, we've got to practice. I remember when I played high school football, we had my coach. His name was Sean Rayford. He was a hard coach. He yelled a lot. He didn't demean us, but he yelled a lot. And he pushed us hard. And if you ever were in sports, you know the term suicides. He called them gassers. But everybody lined up. And he would have all the running backs and receivers on one side and all the big linemen, which was me, on, on the other side. So, and he would say, he would get a number of yards back and he'd say, all right, here's what we have to do today. We ended every practice with it. We had to do 10 gassers. He would stand back and we would have the linemen 30 seconds, the running backs and receivers 25 seconds. We had to get him back, him back, that's one. And he would audibly count. Now, the thing we hated about gassers, not only were we gassed and tired, 
if any one person from either side did not make time, that one didn't count. It was not uncommon for us to be doing 15 to 20 gassers at the end of every practice because you'd have somebody that just would stumble. And then we'd have people on the team, we'd have running backs running over to the linebacker, the, the lineman side, not to, to get five more seconds, but to literally be pushing the lineman and pushing us across the line because they didn't want to run again. You know, so it was like, hey, you're helping your team out. There were some selfish reasons there, but you know, they, they wanted to get everybody across. But all that to say, we ran these drills all the time. And at the end of every practice, we were beat. But there was hard work. There was running, conditioning, training. And guess what happened during that season? When the fourth quarter came in football games, guess what team was not tired yet? We were not tired. We were ready to go. Coach knew what he was doing. He was pushing us. He was physically training us. So in the game, as you're, you're getting hit and hitting people and running and going crazy, the other team would start to get tired and we would feel like this is not as bad as gassers. We can do this. And we actually were one game away from the Super Bowl that year. We lost to Alaska by three points. I found out later they had a player on their team that cheated and I'll never forget it. But we were ready. We were prepared. He did the best to prepare us for the most brutal conditions in games that we could. And we were better because of the training that we went through. Intense, physical, hard training, but it gave us the endurance we needed. A lot of it was running. The Bible talks a lot about running. It uses verses about running as, as a metaphor for things in life. And in running terms, Jesus ran a perfect race when he was here on earth. He ran the perfect race, never deviated, didn't stumble over the hurdles. He ran it to perfection. And his race took him eventually to death on the cross. But that still was the ending of his perfect race. Today, we're going to talk more about this perfect love that fueled this race for him, that fueled this example that he gave for us on how we now can run our race in life. Now, 1 Corinthians 9, Apostle Paul has some profound things to say about self-discipline and training. So if you read along with me, we're going to start in verse 24. And you can actually, if you don't have your Bibles, you can see it up on, these look nice, I'm so excited to have these up this week. Um, If you you get a chance, um, make sure you thank uh, Donald, our our tech guru in the back, for getting these things ready to go. He's uh, put a lot of time into, into these, and I'm so thankful for what he does for us. 1 Corinthians 9, 24, it says this. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. That would be a really weird thing to see, right? So Paul says there's a purpose here. There's a reason we run this race, and it's not for an earthly prize. It's for something so much better than what we could get here on earth. And as I said, Jesus ran the perfect race, right? We know from the Gospels, he was very disciplined with his time. He was very intentional with what he did. He had a schedule. He stuck to it. He he made sure he was talking to people, looking them in the eyes. He He had an agenda, and he stuck to this. He knew what he was doing. He was intentional. He wasn't running aimlessly. He wasn't just swinging at the air wondering, oh man, what should I do next? He knew what he was here to do because he had eternity in mind. He had his sights set on not earthly things, but he had his sights set on how to get us past the earthly things, how we got to be with him. He had a mission and a calling and he ran it. Now, for us, if physical training gives physical results, it'd be safe to say then that spiritual training gets you what? Yep, not a trick question, right? Spiritual training will get you spiritual results. 
Jesus was showing people a lot of spiritual training in his time here on earth. He was showing, he was giving the perfect model and example of if you want to get close to the Father, you want to get connected and, and see how he loves you, here's some things to do. And he modeled it to perfection. He showed spiritual training. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says this, Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. So, so spiritually now, we're, we're called to run this, this similar race that Jesus did, to be intentional with our time, to, to be able to, to reach people for him, right? And it takes endurance, Running through life the, 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 the way that we run through life typically can wear you down real fast. If we're not careful, if we're not making sure we're, we're staying in tune with God, we can get real tired real fast. And we start realizing, maybe I don't have the endurance I thought I did. Endurance is required. Endurance requires commitment to, to what we're called to do. It invites us to never give up the hope of crossing that finish line that Jesus says, this is what I have for you. Now run through the finish line. Something I love telling the, uh, the girls that I'm coaching softball is first base is the only base that you get to do what? You get to run through that base. In our lives, when we're, when we're going through our walk with Jesus, we don't want to slow down as we're coming. We want to run through this thing he has for us. Give it everything we have all the time. Never give up the hope of crossing that finish line saying, God, I gave it everything I had. I ran my race. Today, as we talk about this, I want, I want to talk about Jesus as the perfecter of our faith because he had the perfect love, the perfect, passionate love for us. God is able to refine us as we run this race. Uh, he's able to refine our, 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 um, our endurance and, and our energy and, and kind of our motivations and, and what we have our eyes set on. But, but how does this happen? How, how, how do we get this, this, our faith perfected? What is required of us? And today, I want to talk about a few things. And the first one is that we need to keep our eyes on the cross. As we're running our race, keep your eyes on the cross. Uh, we, we spent a lot of time talking about how Jesus suffered on the cross for our sins. It was his passion, right, that, that, held, his, that held him on that cross because he loved us so much. And I believe that, that if, we, if we want to desire, desire to have and experience this same passion, if we desire to experience Jesus Christ personally day by day, we've got to be willing to continually keep our eyes fixed on that cross. Keep our eyes fixed on what he did for us. Because as humans, we will naturally walk what way? The, the way that we're looking, right? I mean, if, if, if you're not looking where you're going, you're going to walk into something. Or if you look one way, you're going to start naturally walking the direction that you're looking. That, that's a natural response to, to direction and moving. For anyone in charge of mowing your lawn at home, when you mow that first line, you, know, you, you now have that, first, that starting line, right? And as you mow, what do you keep your eyes fixed on? You got, you got to look at that line. <laughs> you got to, you got to, you know, you're, you're looking, all right, I just mowed here. My tire's going to be there, so I'm going to walk down this straight line. And if you decide to mow and look left or look right, you're going to get to the end and realize, I just have this big old patch of unmowed lawn now, and I got lines going crazy. And then people look at your lawn and say, what is wrong with you? Your lawn is insane. And even if you do go back and mow it, now you've got lines that just look crazy. Right? So, so as you mow, you're looking ahead. And typically, not just ahead, but you know, your, your eyes are fixed on this is where I need to go. You're, you're being very intentional on, on the direction that you're going so it looks good. You fix your gaze in the direction that you want to push. If you glance in another direction, you're bound to go off track. You're bound to make a weird-looking line. And, uh, and then you'll just be the, the, you'll, you will be the talk of the town. That could be a cool thing. Maybe not. Who knows? But it'll look different if you deviate from your path. Now, as humans, we experience this ongoing conflict where we fix our gaze upon things 
instead of, uh, we, we glance at some things and we fix our gaze upon other things. Some of, us, some of us here today may be saying, you know what, I haven't been to church in a long time, or, or for whatever reason you're here and you say, I, I feel like there's a part of me that maybe is a little empty inside. You feel like maybe you, you don't have to, anything to give, or, or maybe you're here out of obligation. It's Sunday, I have to go. And, and I would say, you know what, maybe you feel a little emptiness. And, may, and I know I've gone through seasons where I feel this way. I feel empty, and I know it's because instead of keeping my gaze on God, I'm glancing at God. I'm going through my life saying, I'm focused on this, God, I see you. Okay, still going on this, God, yeah, you're there. And, and I'm not focused on him, but I'm glancing at him instead. And that leads to a whole lot of spiritual emptiness. And that, that in turn leads to physical emptiness and depression and lack of motivation. I want us to get to a place and, as a church and as people where we say, you know what? Maybe I'll glance at the world, but I am gazed at God. My focus is on him. My steps are guiding me towards him. I am consistently walking in a way where he is the focus point of my walk. And if today you're here and you're thinking, maybe I've, maybe I've spent the last season, week, month, years glancing at God, I want to encourage you, make a switch. Make a switch and say, you know what? I'm going to look at God first. Let, let my walk take me towards him where he's just not a glance. He is my focus. Don't take a quick glance to where God is. Walk towards him consistently. Gazing at God, it invites us, it invites us to spend so much time with him. It invites, invites us to constantly make sure that he is the, the author and perfecter of our faith and our walk, right? Paul talks about this in 1 Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians 5.17, he says two words. Two words. Pray continually. Pray continually. Fixing our gaze upon God means that in times where we're, we're in our car, we're going to a coffee shop, we're, we're going to a sporting event, we're dropping our kids off at school, we're, we're getting groceries, we're going somewhere, what it, what it means is our, our mind is focused on making sure that God is a part of those journeys as well. He's not the one that we say, oh yeah, I forgot to invite God, I forgot to talk to God today, but you're bringing him into your everyday walk with life. That's why I've talked about before, I love starting my day with prayer because it's a reminder to me that whatever I go through in life now, I know that I have God with me. I'm bringing him into my day, not making him the afterthought of my day. But we have to train our minds to focus on, on Christ and stop thinking about all the other things that can seek to occupy our time. And notice I said the word there, train. We have to train ourselves to look at God. For, for a lot of us, this may not come naturally. It, it may be natural, we think, to, to go back to God instead of going to him in the first place, right? Some things come naturally. Many things take time and effort to set forward to do it. It may take time, and it may take that wonderful P word, practice. It may take practice. It'll take commitment. It'll take dedication to try, to try, and try again, and do it continually, it, it, it's kind of like working out. If, if you decide, I'm going to get in physical shape, I'm going to get good, I'm, I'm motivated, and you go to the gym one day a week, what's going to happen? Not, not much, right? I mean, you may, may feel, you feel a little different. Like, hey, you, you worked out for the week, you feel a little different that day, but then the rest of the week comes, and, and then you go back to that one day, and you won't see a lot of results. But if you decide, like, all right, I'm going to get physically in shape, I'm going to do this, and you go to the gym almost every day, what do you start to see? You start to see those results. You start, you start to really put purpose into, oh, now I'm going to do this, and, and you see whether it's weight loss or muscle gain, whatever it is you're focused on, if you spend a lot of time doing it more than just once a week, you'll see the results. In the same vein, if we only pray once a week, we're going to have very limited spiritual results. 
If we decide I'm only going to spend time with God for one hour on a Sunday morning once a week, we're going to miss a lot of results. But if we decide to say, I'm going to pray continually, I'm going to bring God in with me every day. Every day I'm going to spend some time with him and make sure that he is a focus point. Guess what you're going to see? More results. You will see more results. Truth is, there is no limit to the amount of time you can spend with God. There's no limit to it, right? I mean, there's so many different ways. All the time we spend with God is meant to direct our focus back to the cross, and we have so many times, if you think about your day, all the, the, the dead time you may have, whether it's perusing social media, and I have social media and I do that, but um, whether you're watching a show or even just in the car driving, that's all time that you can invite God into something. I bet if we, if we were to write it all down, get a, get a calendar or a, a timesheet for the day and write out what we did, we'd probably be surprised at how many times we'd go, oh, I could totally bring God in in this point. I can totally bring God in here. And we start really acting out this pray continually mindset where we're making God a focus point of everything that we do. And while we run this race, when we bring him in, we are able to direct our focus to the cross and we will see that he refines our race. He refines our faith. He's able to take us deeper in prayer. The more time we spend with him, we're able to go deeper into his word. But it starts with us saying, I'm gonna make you a priority and I'm gonna pray continually. I'm gonna bring you in. We allow God to be the perfecter of our faith. It doesn't include gaze, or, uh, glancing at the cross. It includes It includes focusing, gazing at the cross. After we keep our eyes on the cross, we also have to be able and be ready to endure whatever your race brings. How many would say, I've run this race, and man, it is a tough race, right? I mean, that's a lot of us can say that. This has been a tough race, whether it's my whole race, (laughs) this leg of the race is tough, but we have to be able, we have to get to that point where we say, I'm going to endure whatever this race brings me. I've got to endure it. The Bible makes it clear, there will be hard times. You will have hard times. This is a promise. You will have hard times. You're gonna have to learn, we'll have to learn how to endure frustration, how to endure pain, how to endure hardship. In John 16, Jesus tells us, in this life, you will have trouble. In this life, you will have trouble. And then James 1, 2 punches back and says, count it all joy when we face trials of various kinds. So you put these two together and it's saying, in your race, in your life, not only will you find trouble, but you got to find joy in those things as well. That's a tall order. It's not always easy to do. But these are just a couple passages that reiterate a consistent message you find throughout all of Scripture. Even Jesus had to endure trouble. He was not exempt from the trials of the world. He had, he experienced trouble. He experienced persecution, pain, and suffering. In the Garden of, of Gethsemane leading up to Easter Sunday, right? Scripture talks about the anguish he felt just before being arrested. Jesus actually prayed to God and said, God, if there's any way to take this cup from me, let's do that. He knew what was about to happen. He knew what was coming. He was full of anxiety. He was so stressed out, he was literally sweating blood. I can honestly say I have never been that stressed in my life. I've been very stressed. I've been to to points in my life where I thought, "I, I can't handle this, I'm going to break, but this this, the son of God was literally at a point where he knew what was going to happen and he was so anxious, his sweat was like blood. He knew, and you think about what did he know? He knew it all. He knew 100% without a doubt he was going to be arrested. He knew that he was going to be beaten. He knew he was literally going to have flesh torn from his head when those thorns dug in. 
He knew that a cat of nine tails was going to hit and rip the flesh off of his back. He knew this was going to happen. He knew that he was going to be taken to a cross. They would be nails driven through his hands, driven through his feet. He was going to be put on something that was the most shameful, humiliating, embarrassing execution in history. He knew it was coming. That would cause me anxiety. That would cause me a great deal of fear. He knew it all. He was nervous, was anxious, but ultimately he said, God, if this is your will, I'm in. And he went to that cross. He willingly went to that cross. Hebrews says, he did it for the joy set before him. Think about that phrase. Jesus went to the cross and he endured it for the joy set before him. Would you find joy if you knew that was going to happen to you? That'd be hard. In that moment, when, when you see Jesus sweating, it's almost, you, you think, I don't see joy here. But his heart was full of joy because he knew what he was going to do, why he was doing it, because of his love for you. He had joy in this moment. For the sake of you and me experiencing new life, he had joy. If we want our faith to be refined, if we want our faith to be perfected, chances are we're going to go through fire. You are going to go through fire. Here's, the, here's what Paul says elsewhere. In Romans 8, 17, he says, now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share his sufferings in order that we also share in his glory. Let that, let that be some encouragement this morning, that when we go through these fires, it, we, we get to find joy because that is God perfecting us. It is God showing that he is in charge and he can work through these and make us stronger on the other end. It's like when, when, when you're making a sword, when, when the, the samurais, when they make the ninjas even, when they make their sword, they fold the steel and they temper it and they temper it and you think, man, if you're folding it, you're gonna make it weaker. But they put it in fire and they literally fold it and bend it and strike it and every time they do that, it gets stronger and stronger and stronger. We go through fire times. We go through trials, but if we let God mold us, we let God shape us and really, really temper us, we come out of those so much stronger. But we have to be willing to endure the trials that we're going to go through. There's something, there can be something almost beautiful about the suffering seasons in our lives. Not that we find beauty in suffering, but we can see beauty in the results of it. Beauty in what God does afterwards. Beauty in the strength that he gives us. I know that... Uh, my very, very first church job was at another Creekside, not affiliated with the Creekside that I actually worked at for, for 14 years. You know, different, different church, same name, not affiliated. But I was working there, and I was there for a few years, and it became very, very clear to me, for a number of reasons, some of it mine, some of it not mine, but the, the senior pastor at this church and I were not getting along. There was a lot of him saying what I should do, a lot of me thinking what I should not do, and it was, we, we started butting heads. And my life and that job became very, very miserable. There was, I felt like I was doing, there was a lot of pain happening in, in, my, in my heart. There was a lot of stress happening. And, and I felt like when I, when I would meet with him, um, I, I felt like I just got in the round, of the, the boxing with Tyson a couple of times. It was just, I was getting beat. And I remember coming home and my wife telling me, Dustin, it's time for us to leave. It is time for us to, to, to not cause a stink, to not try and you know, cause a church. Do you guys know what's going on? It was just time for us to go. And I remember thinking, God, I'm trying so hard to work for you right now. Why is this so hard? I look back at what I learned at those things, though, and I know I wouldn't be where I am today had I not gone through those fire moments in my life. 
had I not gone through those hard conversations. And I look back at it now and I can see moments where I was like, man, in that moment, I was not wrong. I was being treated bad, but I can look back at it now and go, I could have handled that better, absolutely. I can see God working in my life, but I have to be willing to look for it. I have to be willing to say, God, here's what's happened. I'm gonna let you work in my life now. I'm gonna choose to find joy in the midst of this because I know what you're doing and I know I'm gonna be better for it. When we feel like we're at the most difficult points in our lives, that's when God is able to shine his light the brightest. That's when we're able to see just how perfect his love is. Maybe God has you in a season you're in right now so that he can shape and mold you into the person that he wants you to be. And it may not be comfortable, but the Bible promises we can find joy in the midst of all these moments. The decision that Jesus made to endure the cross was, in the, in the eyes of the world, a very foolish decision. They were mocking him, saying, just, if you're really Jesus, get off. If you're the son of God, you have all this power, get off the cross. Culturally, this was a death tool that illustrated shame, illustrated embarrassment. It was for the worst criminals, and yet Jesus was willing to die, willing to do it. Why? For the joy set before him. And so then that would ask, does, does that mean that Jesus was joyful when he was reconciling sinners? Yes, yes it does. It was painful, it was hard, it was, it was I'm, I'm the, an element of fear for sure. But ultimately, he set out because of the joy he had because he loved us. And yes, if, if I wonder if we are called to make a similar posture in our endurance sometimes. To go through those moments and say, you know what, I'm gonna choose joy. Key phrase there, I'm going to choose joy in the midst of this trial because of the perfect love Jesus shows for me. Ask yourself this question. Does it bring you joy to think about those in your life who don't know Jesus, but does it bring you joy to know that someday they may? Does it bring you joy when you think, you know what, someday they may know Christ? That suddenly, if you ask yourself that question, that kind of shifts the perspective of what we go through when it shares Christ, because you know what, someday they may. Someday they, they may come to that moment. What if God is trying to use you to plant some of these seeds in people's hearts? What if you're never present when they do it, but later on in life they do it, and it's because of something that you were able to start sowing years and years before? That, we can never discredit the, the love we get to show people because Jesus showed us that love where in life it may lead them. Never let it shy you away from sharing Jesus with someone. He will perfect your faith in these moments. Keep your eyes fixed on the cross. Endure what the race brings. And remember, as you go through these trials, remember that you're not alone. No one in here is alone. All throughout Jesus' earthly ministry, he was reminding people that you are not alone. He was reminding people that he is not alone. He was consistently going to his father. Even in moments where, where he would say, I'm gonna go be by myself, he was not by himself, and he modeled that in such a perfect way. We have a continual connection with the Father. God was directing his steps. Jesus was finding moments, even in the Garden of Gethsemane, in the end, to spend one-on-one -on -one time with his Father. He modeled for us what it means to be fully reliant on God's strengths. And, and this is where I think the Holy Spirit comes in. We get to realize, even in our darkest moments, when we feel like maybe friends and family have abandoned us, we are never alone. God said, I will send you my helper, and it is with you all the time. Always remember, the Holy Spirit is what, that is the personal assistant. That is part of the triune God with you everywhere you go. You are never alone. He models for us what it is to be on his strength, and when we allow God to lead us through difficult things, we can feel his presence, even in our darkest times. In um, October of 2021, my older brother was admitted to the hospital. He had been going through numerous health issues for many, many years. Um, he, he had some, some bad habits throughout his life that had 
cause lots of bad health issues. And my, my brother Abe, going to the hospital, this was not a new thing. We, we, he would go to the hospital and it would be bad and he would get better and the doctors would say, make some changes and do this and maybe he would, but not the greatest. And it was, it was kind of a cycle with, with my brother. So going to the hospital was, was not a, a shocking thing. But in October 2021, he went back in. And I remember uh, one of my other brothers texting us saying, oh, hey, here's what's going on with Abe, here's what the doctors are saying. And it was a roller coaster of, hey, he's gonna go home. No, he's not ready yet. Um, everything changed one day when I got a phone call from my mom saying that the doctor said he was not going home and he was not ever going to be able to go home. This was it. That's when everything shifted. Abraham had a rough life. I started, I started wondering the, the things I know about my brother. Did, did he 100% believe in Jesus? Did, did, he, did he have him as pers- his personal Lord and Savior? And in that moment, I would, I would say, I don't know. I, I don't know. He, he said and believed a lot of things. And, and did a lot of crazy things. And, but I also know his heart and love for his family. And I had conversations with him. But if, but if I were to, someone were to ask me, did he have Jesus? My answer was, I don't know. But that night I was on a plane to California to see him for what I knew was going to be the last time. I remember getting to the hospital. A lot of my family's down in the hospital. I got there that night. And it was in the, COVID was still a, a big, big thing in the hospitals. And so they were saying only two people go, could go into a room at a time. So I remember going up with one of my brothers. For those of you who don't know, I have nine brothers. There's a lot of us. But um, I went into the room with one of my other brothers, and I went in and saw Abe sitting or laying in the bed, unconscious, stomach bloated, IVs, masks. He, he was, had tubes everywhere. And I remember seeing him and just my heart breaking, and he was unconscious. The doctor said they didn't know if he could hear us or not. They had no idea. It was so hard to see him like that. I didn't know what to say. I, I was just looking at my brother, not, just not knowing what to do. And so in my mind and my heart, I just started worshiping. I just started praying. It's like, God, just give me the words. What do I say in this moment? It was honestly one of the hardest things I ever had to see and ever had to go through. So I started praying with my brother. I read some verses to him, spoke to him about the gospel and how Jesus loved him. And I said, well, you know, Abe, whether you like it or not, you're probably going to be seeing him real soon. Have you talked to him? And I didn't know if he could hear me. But in that moment, I, res- I decided in my heart, I'm going to believe that you can. I'm going to believe in some way he can hear me. I remember being in, in tears, sharing a couple stories, laughing and praying again, and then going home that night. The next morning, we, we got the call that it, it was happening. So we got to the hospital. His vitals were looking weaker. And at that point, I was so thankful that the hospital threw away all of their rules and let my whole family, and it's a big family, they let us all in the room. And so we were all there around his bed. And I read this verse to him. John 14, one through six. It says, your heart must not be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many dwelling places. If not, I would have told you. I'm going away to prepare a place for you. If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come back and receive you to myself. So that is where I'm going, that you may be also. You know the way where I am going. Lord, Thomas said, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I read that verse to my brother. 30 seconds later, he went to be with Jesus. People that knew Abe and knew the the life he lived, they asked me, do you think he made it to heaven? That's a tall question, right? I'm glad I don't have to decide that. But my response was, I don't know. But I have faith that he heard everything I said last night. I have faith that he heard everything we just said now 
And I have faith that even though we couldn't audibly hear him, he was having some very serious conversations with Jesus those last few days. I have faith that we serve a forgiving, merciful, gracious, incredibly loving God whose love is the most perfect thing we'll ever know. I share this because for me, and then even after he passed away, was probably one of the darkest, hardest seasons of my life. I got physically sick thinking about my brother passing away. And I, I, I didn't even allow myself time to grieve. My family was, uh, because I'm the, and I don't say this in a, in a negative way, so don't hear it in a negative way. I'm the pastor in the family, so I felt it was my job to pastor my family through this time. And my family was calling me and asking me, you know, can, can you pray for this? Can you handle this? And then, then they asked me to do the memorial service, and that, that was also a hard thing to prep. I got physically sick, and my body was breaking down because it was so hard. But in those moments when I finally when I finally put my focus back on Jesus, he made me stronger today because of what I went through then. He's brought my family closer and stronger together. I've witnessed and personally experienced Jesus perfecting and refining my faith in my hardest times. And it didn't happen until I was solely reliant on his ability to lead me through it. It wasn't just me. It wasn't my my own. I I gotta rest. I gotta do different things. It was when I focused on God, I was able to see him strengthen me to see him revitalize me, to see him renew and restore my faith and make it stronger than it was before because he was in charge. In our hardest moments, we've got to learn to trust him. In our hardest moments, we've got to learn to rely on him. In our hardest moments, remember that he went through the hardest thing because he loves you so, so much. Never forget that. Emphasize that verse again, John 14, 6. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's the way. He is the truth and he is the life. And he sent the Holy Spirit and it will never, ever leave you. If you're going through an enduring time right now, a hard time, a trial time where you say, man, God, I I, I don't want to be perfected anymore right now. This is good. I feel like I'm good. If you go through those times, know that he's got something so much greater for you. He's got something more perfect for you and he wants to make you even more perfect than you may think you already are. He's got it lined out for you. Never forget to give him the glory for his faithfulness that will never leave, never forsake, never abandon because you are truly never alone in this journey. I want to invite the worship team up as we get ready to close this morning. And when we talk about the, the perfect love of Jesus and his church, it's, it's an amazing gift of encouragement. And, and I hope that as, as we talk today that, that you feel encouraged knowing that, that as you go through these things, God is perfecting, he's working because he is loving you through every minute of it. <clears throat> it's worth remembering here, John 15, 9, Jesus reminds us, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. And Jesus is a savior of mankind, and he's saying, remain in me. Remain in this perfect love. Don't, don't leave it. Don't, don't walk away from it. He will never leave you. He'll never abandon you. Stay in it. Stay with him. Watch him love you through everything you're going through. If you're going through something in life right now and you need this moment to say, maybe I've just been glancing at Jesus. I've been going through so many hard things. I'm focused on this and Jesus is a glance in my life. I want to invite you right now to say, you know what? Make that shift. Make Jesus your gaze. Make Jesus your your focal point. Make him the one that you are looking at all the time. And what I want to do is, I've actually never done this on a Sunday morning before. We've done it on different worship nights, but if you're in a moment right now where you say, you know what, I need prayer because I need to shift back to Jesus. I'm going through something right now, pray for me, and I I really need Jesus, I need to feel him moving in my life in this. 
I want to invite you as the, the team sings, oh, come to the altar, I want to invite you up here to the altar. And I just want to lay hands on you. I just want to pray for you. And if you see someone coming up here that you want to pray for, I want to invite you guys just to come up and fill this front up here right now. And let's, let's come together. Let's pray. Let's pray for each other. Let's invite God to be the focus of everything we are going through. If you've never made a commitment to Jesus, or if you're online today, and I know you can't physically come right here, you can click, I need prayer, and someone will be there to pray with you online. If you've never, if you've never made that commitment to Jesus, I'm going to invite you to do that today. Come up here and let's pray. Let's, let's invite you in and receive this perfect, amazing grace, redemption, forgiveness, and love that he has for you. So would you stand with me today? I'm, gonna, um, I'm just going to step down and stand up right here in the front. If you want to come forward and just, just be prayed over, I'm just going to pray for us as the team sings. And let's end our time together this morning just praying and singing, worshiping the incredibly loving Jesus. Amen? Amen. Jesus, you are wonderful. I thank you for today. God, I thank you that, that you are always there. God, we may shift our focus, we may shift our gaze, but you never shift your gaze off of us. God, you love us through all of it, and I pray for us today. If any of us have shifted, God, that we shift back to you. And God, that your love rules and fuels everything that we do. We thank you, Jesus. Feeling the Holy Spirit move is a wonderful thing, isn't it? I love that we get to pray together. I love that we get to celebrate together. And I love that next week we get to have the ultimate celebration of the resurrection of Jesus together. Amen. If you see those postcards on your chairs, take them. Remember, they're not a reminder for you. We know where we're going to be next week at 10. Bring somebody with you. Let's have a fun time this week showing the love of Jesus and getting ready to celebrate the best story ever. Amen. You guys are loved. Have a great day. See you next week.